There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to another Business Elevation Show on Voice America. Brilliant to be back with you again for yet another week. And I'd just like to say, firstly, a big thank you to my guest last week, John Livesay. Um, John was talking to me from Los Angeles. Uh, he's a speaker. Um, a, he also has a great podcast show uh, and uh, he's an author. And um, he was talking about, uh, in the sales process, how do we get from being invisible to completely irresistible? And we're having some uh, funs and games talking about uh, Pretty Woman and things like that. And um, But also that um, particular interview had a number of different uh, comments from people, very positive comments about things they picked up from that show and uh, learnt and uh, were taking on board. So thank you to those people who wrote in and said that. I love to hear from you, you all. And thank you to John. If you're interested in really becoming irresistible when you're selling, then do go into the archive and do listen to the show. I'd also just like to say um, for anybody who um, accesses the show from um, Christchurch in New Zealand that we're thinking about you today and will be in the coming days, um, doesn't matter what religious background you are, um, and we, we care about you on this show and uh, we are really thinking about you at a very, very difficult time. So um, I'm going to um, talk today with, um, with my guest, um, Scott Kane, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, about your kind of and getting your health, but also how um, a, a great um, system that uh, Scott has developed and is developing um, can also um, greatly help people and organizations um, with their kind of performance and results through the ability to be able to um, run to work. Um, but also we'll talk about um, Scott has got um, a great background in sort of urban planning and development. So we'll, we'll talk about you know, some of the principles of around, you know, how, how great health can also lead to a, a really healthy city. And I really wonder, you know, what would employee health and business performance be like if in our cities employees um, chose to run or even to cycle and left the car and public transport behind? Now, thinking this through, you know, I'm a, I'm a runner and a cyclist, and uh, the biggest challenge that I had when I was working as an employee, you know, today I work from home quite often, so I go out for a run or a cycle or this morning a swim, and, um, but if you're working in an organization, maybe in a city, is the ability to um, be able to kind of take the clothes that you need, but also to be able to shower, because many um, organizations, showers are not accessible. Now, Scott Kane is the founder and CEO of Run Friendly, that's uh, runfriendly.com, and he's an honorary senior research fellow at UCL Bartlett in the Center for Advanced Spatial Analysis and holds advisory roles with the faculty.ai for artificial intelligence and machine learning, um, PSYT, Pan Studio, and Centric Lab. I can't claim to know what all of those are, but they do sound very, very impressive. Um, Scott was Chief Business Officer and Executive Director at the Future Cities Catapult, which was a world-leading urban innovation centre. And Scott led the investment, securing initially £43 million to establish that centre before becoming its startup director and then CBO. And he's worked with um, creating entrepreneurial cultures as well and with his work at CEO Enterprise UK. He's worked... um, uh, at a board comprising the director generals of the CBI and IOD and FSB and um, HM Treasury. Um, he's got a huge um, list of, um, of organizations and uh, amazing relationships. And, and today he's very much involved with Run Friendly. Um, and this issue, I think, of not having showers in buildings is about to chain, change. So let's talk to Scott and introduce you and chat about executive health, how organizations can support their employees in getting healthier and also more productive and the benefits that all arise um, for our cities. So a huge welcome today to Scott Kane. Thank you very much, Chris. A very, very warm uh, welcome to you too. Um, uh, and thanks for having me. Uh, so, so, yeah, so we're, we're, I suppose, trying to understand uh, the kind of barriers that people face in their day-to-day lives um, 
as cars become less uh, the mode that people move around cities and the different options that um, city leaders, mayors all around the world are exploring uh, to try and encourage not only to you, for you to move around the city in different ways, but also how they can use transport and mobility to deliver health outcomes. Because typically, um, it's the it's the kind of long term health challenges that are the biggest costs for cities and city leaders. Um, and so we're looking at how we can innovate in that space, which is a which is a fascinating area. And, and is that you know uh, looking at this this incredible CV that you've got? Uh, is that is that kind of the really the the nub of what you what you do uh, and and your experience you know being involved with all these bodies and organisations is it really about this this link between health and mobility and and how that's changing and the impact on 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 our future cities? Yeah, so I suppose um, um, I'm now quite old, so therefore I have worked in a number of places and therefore with a number of different organisations. But um, I guess if you could try and make sense of the past, which I guess as humans we try to do as uh, natural storytellers. Um, I would say that um, it was probably about seven years ago, seven or eight years ago, and I was doing some work with, um, uh, there's a chap called Sir Richard Branson, who was the, the, the person behind Virgin. Um, and he had a very big campaign at that time, which was called the Carbon War Room. And it was a war on carbon. So literally, how could you take gigaton a billion tons of carbon out of the system and um it started with some work around shipping so very simple you know um fridges have an hg rating um something similar was applied to the world's vessels and the idea would be um if you knew that your vessel wouldn't be used you then had an incentive to then pull through on the available technologies and uh, on the back of doing that we did some work called uh, creating climate wealth here in london um, with University College London, and, and that led us to look at cities. So after shipping, which I think if it was a national economy would be something like the sixth, the largest emitter, uses the kind of very dirtiest fuels and um, it's very inefficient. Um, cities was the next area that I got into. And mm. in doing that, it was then, it became a very human, a really very human kind of topic because how we, you know, how we live, work, play, move around cities it's the kind of topic that everybody seems to have an opinion about, whether you live in the countryside and occasionally visit cities or whether that's the place where you spend most of your time. And so, yeah, so I've had a fascinating, you know, last seven or eight years, um, really trying to understand the kind of challenges that mayors and city leaders all around the world are facing and how innovation uh, can play its part in, in making cities better places to live, work and play. And so, so, so really, you know, kind of the nub of your passion it's uh, it, it feels like sustainability is um you know a key aspect yeah i think i think sustainability was probably my entry point because i think it is you know the climate crisis is probably the biggest crisis uh, and, and kind of topic of our time um but it's often such a big topic it's very hard to grasp um and in some ways as a unit of size a city um helps you think about things in a more applied way. And so, um, you know, how do we plan and organize cities? How do we deliver services in a way that's kind of equitable and inclusive and, you know, meet the needs of the many, not just the few? Um, but also, you know, how therefore can you think about planning and delivering services in a way that um, makes the most of the available resources that you have? but also begins to then reduce some of the unintended consequences that come with us rapidly urbanizing. So, you know, for example, how can you use, um, you know, less resources to, to move people from A to B? How can you use less resources to heat or cool uh, buildings where we live? Um, how can we use uh, and indeed reuse resources um, so that there's a sort of circular economy or a more efficient way of, of making use of the resources that we do have to our um, at our availability and so but then when you get down to a further scale beneath that it's then you know what does what does living in a particular place mean and um what does that mean therefore for how you organize transport or how you organize um how you organize green spaces and it, it comes down to some really interesting questions around well who is the city for and what sort of city do you want and then the kind of choices that we make today and the kind of visions that we come up with for the 
for our future are the ones that will take 20, 30, 40 years to play out in an urban context. And so some things move very fast, but actually many things to do with cities have been around uh, for many, many years. Um, in, in some ways, if you think about cities versus national economies, cities have been around for you know, a little over 2,000 years. Um, many of our nation states uh, are relatively new constructs. So if you were to bet on what would be the things that persisted over time, it would be cities rather than nations, you might argue. Mm, it's a fascinating field and area that you're involved in. How did you get into this this kind of remit? What was it, what was it in your past that sparked you off, in your childhood that sparked you off to to find yourself in this this fascinating world of, you know, development of, uh, of, of our cities? Um, well, I, suppose I grew up in the country. Uh, I grew up in rural Shropshire. Um, and I think um, we may come on to it later, but um, when we think about, well, how did cities then lead to rum friendly? But um, I lived in a village and most of my friends lived in other villages. And um, it, it was easiest to get to see them either by bike or um, by running they're you know sort of three four miles away um and i happened to live in a very rural bit where if you went on a bike in the 1970s in shropshire um as soon as you looked at it it seemed to get a puncture and so for yeah. me many people bikes and i you know i love the bike now you know a bike in a city is a very different thing but back then instead of being this vision of freedom and that allowed me to um get from a to b instead it seemed to be this great big hunk of metal that you know as a as an early teen or uh, I used to have to carry around everywhere until I could find enough of uh, the right tools and equipment to replace the to replace the uh, the, the puncture. And so I think st- I started getting into running, um, and um, and that was my way of, of kind of getting about. And then the reason I got into cities was precisely that work with um, with Richard Branson. And like most things in life, um, it was by accident. And I, somebody who attended it was working for the British government, and they said. We need somebody who can thoughtfully approach um, essentially the development of a business plan, and they called it an investment proposition, for whether the UK government and its innovation agency, something called Innovate UK, should invest in a centre, um, and whether that centre would, in effect, help UK firms meet the needs of the world cities, and then help those firms, um, in meeting the needs of world cities, create jobs and wealth and you know, export opportunities. And so it was by virtue of, um, of somebody attending, a chap called Richard Miller, he, uh, he, he saw something in the way that we were thinking about uh, our, our early work in cities to say, well, you come and, you come and do that work for us. And um, I spent 18 months traveling, you know, traveling the world, interviewing mayors and city leaders and, and kind of uh, the chief execs of big firms like Siemens and Arup and IBM and a whole bunch of others. And, uh, and we put the business case together and then, and then before I knew it, I'd... Um, I'd signed up to become the chief business officer or initially the startup director and the chief business officer. And then before I knew it, five years had flown by. So it, it's often the case with these things that you sort of, through adjacency, move into something and then actually reveals itself to be a fascinating topic. It sounds, it sounds like a bit of a dream job, that, travelling the globe and interviewing fascinating people on a subject that you're interested in. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, I suppose this is the great irony about um, when you're moving from uh, believing that uh, the climate crisis is the, is one of the most pressing matters of our time, and then what your very next job is to then uh, essentially go and meet mayors and city leaders in in different parts of the world and see what they were doing. But yes, it was it was a, it was fantastic. It was before I had children as well. It also made that much easier. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, i you know I've spent time in probably over forty cities working on their innovation. And so uh, seeking to understand those innovation challenges and their kind of cultures was, was absolutely um, uh, a fascinating period in my life, yes. And where, just before we, well, um, the break, when we, you also mentioned, uh, we also mentioned your bio, artificial intelligence and machine learning. What's that and where does that fit in? Um, I suppose in my work at the, the Future Cities Catapult, um, uh, we did an, a lot of work to try and define interesting questions that, emerging technologies could then begin to help us understand. And um, we used to quote a chap called Cedric Price, who was a little-known architect. Yeah, a little-known architect um, in the 1960s. And he used to say, technology is the answer, but what is the question? And I think that is very salutary for now, when where a lot of people profess that uh, AI and machine learning is going to be the, the solution to everything. But actually, it's about what's the particular question in hand that you're trying to answer. 
Um, so I've continued to do work where we define the question um, that machine learning and uh, data science can help us answer more thoughtfully. Excellent. So just tell me, we've got a, just about a couple of minutes for a commercial break. Uh, tell us, where does, um, where does Run Friendly fit into all of this? Is this your prime focus now? And what is it? It is, yes. It's, it's pretty much my absolute focus. Um, uh, so it emerged from um, working on three programs. Uh, one was the future of planning. So how do you plan and, and think about land in cities? Uh, the, the second was healthy cities. Uh, so how could a, living in a city be better for your health, not worse? And the third was urban mobility. So how can you optimally move people and goods? And what struck me was that if we could have people move by their own power more often, you would begin to help to address many of the big challenges that we're facing in our cities. So whether that's inactivity and obesity or social isolation or loneliness or toxic air quality or any number of other things. And so it was through that work that then has led to me founding uh, Run Friendly and um, our work to help people make active choices and active uh, journeys between A to B points in cities. Excellent. Well, we'll find out a little bit more about that after the commercial break and, um, and, and you know what that means for all of us. So we'll be back again with you all in just a couple of minutes. So do join us after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi this is chris cooper i'm talking to scott kane at the moment and we're talking about uh, about run friendly we're talking about um, our kind of um, utilizing our our own sort of energy to get us into work rather than using cars and uh, the benefits that that will have to our cities. Um, we've also just moved, um, we've, we've moved Aaron onto a phone line because um, we're struggling a little bit with uh, the quality of the, of the um, uh, contact with, uh, with um, digitally with Scott, which is quite interesting because I always find if um, central London to be one of the worst places in the world, to sometimes interview people and I get crystal clear calls with people on the other side of the planet, but central London sometimes is a bit tricky. So um, Scott, are you still there? I am indeed. I'm here. Yes, I can hear you very good. well. Good, good. And you're sounding a lot better as well now. So that's brilliant. And um, so Scott, um, just tell us, a, tell us a little bit more sort of, you know, logistically around run friendly um, is, is it is it just about is it just about providing a network of showers or for, for people to be able to use or is it uh, and the sort of logistics of that 
um, or is it is it more? What what is it? Yeah, great. So so we've started with them. Um, uh, they always say find a problem that needs a solution. So um, we uh, conducted quite a lot of research, and we worked with a big bus and train company that does a billion journeys a year called Go Ahead. Um, and what that showed was that two thirds of people, sixty percent of people. Um, wanted to be more active as part of their everyday journeys and their commutes. Um, and then amongst the people that describe themselves as being fairly active or active, um, 76% said that they would run and cycle more if they could access a shower near their destination. So we then began to um, look into cities all around the world and say, well, what's their kind of, what, what, what are they doing in terms of policy? And Many are like London, so uh, which has an ambition to have four in five journeys done on foot by bike or by public transport. And so we thought, well, actually, that suggests there's a large and growing market. So what we then thought was, okay, well, do you then seek to build a whole extensive array of end-of-trip facilities or showers and changing areas? Or do we try and take the access economy model, um, so a little bit like Airbnb, and um, so where we've, we've gone for that. So instead, what we're doing is we're working with partner gyms, hotels, co-working spaces, retailers, uh, gym, uh, uh, spin studios, uh, yoga studios, and so forth, all across the city. And via the Run Friendly app, uh, people are able to, to sign up and then access that kind of end-of-trip amenity wherever they are across the city. And we're now live in London, and the feedback is very positive. It's helping more people make more active journeys more of the time. Um, and it's removing one of those kind of points of, of kind of pain or perceived pain um, that was stopping people being more active previously. Excellent. I guess the, you know, the, the benefit of that besides people's health, and if they, you know, we, we were talking before this call about the benefits of activity in, at first thing in the morning, and how that can be kind of quite quite meditative and make us more productive when we're at work is you know presumably people are more productive, but also has a knock-on effect on uh, the um, amount of cars on the road and the volume of people in public transport. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a, it's a sort of gift that keeps on giving. You could say. Um, so, I mean, all of the research shows that uh, people are more productive, they're more trusting, they take less sick days. Um, they feel more positive in their both physical and mental well-being um, if they are active in their lives. And by making active journeys, um, not only do you, I guess, weave in the ability to, to have or be active and take exercise in the course of your day, you're doing so in a, in a way that it doesn't eat into the rest of your time. So if you're a, a young parent and you've got young children and you're very time pressured, this is a way of kind of weaving it into your day. And I think in combination with investment in public transport, so there are moments where, you know, the journey may be too long, but you can consider being active in the first or last mile of your journey. It's a great way of, of, um, of fitting being healthy and active into, your, into kind of our busy uh, and modern lives. So I'm sort of also, some people might be thinking that um, with in, in cities and I'm thinking about sort of, you know, banking institutions and, insurance companies and uh, you know some uh, some of my clients who are based in central london you know, the offices they're quite smart in there you know people still do wear shirts and ties to work and and suits how do you how do you manage your suit if you're running into work um so i think you're right so i would say um you know, well a couple of points on that i mean it was a fascinating piece of uh, research things in forbes this this past week which was um how goldman sachs so you couldn't think of much more corporate context, how they've, they've recently relaxed their, uh, their dress code. And they've, they've basically said that you don't need to wear a suit and a tie any longer, but they've not specified what it is instead. Um, and I think that it's probably the case now that it's people more in the public sector, so people who work for city governments or national governments or public institutions, seem to be more tied to the kind of the smart suit wearing, smart smart shirt, um, tie kind of uh, constraints than it is actually in the private sector. Um, we're seeing, I think, the emergence of what's often called athleisure wear. So people are wearing more casual clothes more often. And I think senior executives and people, you know, the kind of classic vision of um, 
of people in San Francisco is you know, who work in kind of tech startups. The idea of being in a suit all the time is kind of less and less commonplace, particularly amongst younger workers. Um, but it still remains, it, it is a challenge. So how do you pack um, whatever you need to do in your bag and how do you get from A to B with it? And it, it, it is one of the things that, um, that still provides a, a challenge for people. Um, and it isn't one that's um, immediately uh, resolvable. You know, I choose to wear a rucksack and many other people. If you run around London, uh, London, according to the, the, uh, the app Strava, which kind of tracks uh, cycling and, and, and running, um, London is the run commute capital of the world. And if you were to you know, stand on a busy street, you would see uh, a constant flow of people with, with running rucksacks, you know, making A to B journeys at, at the kind of busiest times of the day. In places like Amsterdam, Paris, New York, in the outer bits of New York rather than Manhattan, it's the same. And if people are making that choice despite the fact that they still are, you know, it, it, it's still imperfect. If you're on a bike, clearly it's easy. You can have kind of panniers or you can have, you can have a rucksack and, it, and, it, and it's slightly less problematic. But, um, yeah, being smart at the end of the trip uh, is still something which I think is an area that is... Um, it's kind of ripe for innovation. We do some work with some people called Motion Labs, and, and they've developed uh, a really neat form of a, of a rucksack where much of the weight actually resides on your hips. And so for runners and cyclists in particular, it's, um, it's a fantastic way of kind of, I guess, locating the load and the pressure to the part of the human body that is most able to, uh, to accommodate it without it you know, causing you back pain or, or for you to need to do specific exercises. But yeah, I think, I think staying smart... Um, at the end of your of your trip is 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 it it remains and will culturally remain uh, part of a challenge for for people in certain jobs. Yeah, you are you're, you're right though the you know, the dress code is very different to you know on the whole uh, to probably when we you and I started out and our working careers, which was generally much more formal. I, I, I struggled myself sometimes with you know, heading into London, for example, for meetings, knowing what to wear. Because uh, sometimes I can turn up, you know, overly dressed. Uh, sometimes underdressed. Um, I think I'm in there there next week or the week after, and I've got uh, three meetings. I could wear jeans, and one where they've told me I need to wear, a, I need must wear a, a suit and a tie because of where we're going going for lunch. Um, it's uh, there's, there's a lot of different cultures, isn't there, out there? But maybe, as you say, that's something that uh, organisations could really start to think about, and whether they they choose to be uh, put people's health. And fitness first, um, whether that's uh, more important versus, um, you know, wearing a suit and tie, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and, and clearly, I mean, you know, fifty uh, percent of the working population are women, as I say, and and they have a whole, you know, many women have a different kind of set of challenges about moving actively. So, you know, sometimes, you know, is the destination where you're going to? Do they give you one towel or two? Typically, need two if you have longer hair, for example. Or, um, you know, what do you do with your, you know, with your makeup or, um, you know, whatever else you might need to carry with you. And so these are these are these are genuine things that um, that are kind of ripe for innovation. But there are businesses I think like, you know, I'm a big fan of um, of a business called Outdoor Voices, um, which I guess has democratised and kind of introduced a new way of being in casual, slightly more athletic clothes, but for any time of the day and most any context. And, um, you know, I, I think they're, they're kind of beginning to eat away at, at much of the perceptions about why people previously felt it was important to, in, in a quote-unquote, look smart. And I think, you know, this, this isn't going to be an overnight shift and different corporate cultures will embrace things at different times. But I think uh, we're already seeing quite a big shift uh, that's well underway in terms of, um, moving from kind of uh, very very smart crisp white shirt and, and and you know business suit attire to something that's a bit, little bit more relaxed. And then on the foot, you know, I think we see if you you know I've done my own uh, kind of surveys with these type of things. But if you look at how, what people wear on their feet, you know, many uh, women who are still very smartly dressed who might be heading into the city to work in banking environments or so forth, you know, even if they are wearing the smart um, you know suits, they're also often wearing you know running shoes and, and more casual shoes on their feet in order to make kind of the journey on foot much more, you know, much more easy. And so that again is kind of beginning to shift. We're beginning to see kind of um, people continuing to wear more comfortable athletic shoes through the day. And it means therefore you're not having to carry a second 
you know, a second pair of shoes or indeed have a, a locker at work where you can access them. And, and, and so I think there's innovation that's already going on. We've, you know, we've had conversations with Nike and Brooks and, um, you know, a number of other kind of uh, manufacturers of, of, of kind of footwear. And um, it, it's certainly something that they're very aware of, meeting the changing needs of, of people in cities, um, not just while they're overtly being active, but also how they live more active lives day to day. Yeah, we've got a, got a, there's a great city there in London. There's lots of parks as well to run, run at and through on the on, on the way to work or during lunch breaks. It uh, it's well designed for it, um, except for obviously some some sort of busy road junctions. I, I was thinking when you were talking earlier about uh, about Amsterdam, uh, I was there uh, working there a couple of years ago, and I remember um, upsetting somebody by walking out in front of their bike, and it seemed to be a sea of bikes in in Amsterdam. It's a real you know, key way of of commuting, and um, but of course the the city will and the infrastructure will have been designed for that. So it makes uh, a huge amount of sense now that you're, you know, working on London and uh, and helping almost kind of you know de- develop a system so people can, you know, can be eth- athletic on their way to work and back. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you picked a very good example in terms of Holland. So you know, there's a there's there are a number of Dutch cities as well as. You know, if you, if you look to Denmark and Copenhagen, for example, um, they were every bit as much car dominated uh, if you go to the relatively recent past. Um, it's simply the case that they, they've adopted policies to encourage more people to move by bike and, and on foot um, earlier than, than even London and Paris and, and, and New York and others are beginning to do so now. But you know, in some ways, it, 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 what I think is particularly interesting is this is a very global thing. You know, if you look at, you know, there's a dozen or so global cities, major global cities that are starting to go car free, particularly in their inner core right now. So, you know, that's places like Madrid, that's places like Oslo, and that's places like Chengdu in, in China, um, Hamburg. Um, and so it, it's not any longer the case that there are uh, sort of outlier cities like like um, Amsterdam and Copenhagen, for example. I mean, they are still exemplars, but actually big global cities are beginning to say, actually, this makes sense. This is a, this is a way of um, removing some of the, the kind of physical divides um, and helping people move in a way that kind of builds and forms communities rather than kind of fractures them. Um, I think it's going to be uh, much more commonplace in most every city all around the world. I mean, I was recently in Dubai, um, and Dubai, if you think about it, for four months of the year is very, very hot. But for eight months of the year, it's very temperate. And so in that sense, it's not unlike, say, some Canadian cities uh, like Vancouver, for example, which has a really strong walking and biking and running culture. And so in Dubai, they're, they're, you know, Sheikh Hamdan, so the crown prince, has, has sort of uh, backed something where they're building 850 kilometers of running and cycling track around the mm-hmm. city state. Singapore, very similar. They're building 700 kilometers of running and cycling tracks around their city-state. And it's, it's basically from a very simple um, insight, which is if the single greatest cost facing the city is the health of its people, then how can you begin to address that through other ways, thoughtfully? And transport policy, how mobility, how we move from A to B, both people and goods, is increasingly being seen not just as important in and of itself in reducing congestion and reducing air quality, but also as a, as a way of delivering health outcomes. And, uh, you know, I, I, it now feels like we're at a tipping point. It generally feels like globally in many global cities that will be the case. That's not to say that we won't continue to see car-dominated cities, um, and, and that debate will play out differently in, in different cities all around the world. But, you know, I'm now fascinated to think about, well, what happens when we get to the, world, the time of autonomous vehicles? And connect, you know, connected and autonomous vehicles, be they you know, small pods or be they um, you know, rather more fast-moving um, cars like Teslas. And I think just because it's technically feasible and the investment is flooding into autonomy, I still think it's no, it's no longer the case that um, fast-moving Teslas will have any greater priority in a city than our children playing in the streets. And so I, I think that's going to be a fascinating kind of area around regulation and about how we kind of incentivize different types of behaviors. Um, and, and it gets back to that question about who is the city for? Mm. 
we're going to leave on that note and go to another commercial break. But after the commercial break, just like to understand a little bit more about, um, you know, run friendly and how it's, um, you know, how it's being, and it's being tested at the moment, but how that idea is spreading. I'm very excited because um, I've seen how part runners just proliferated across the globe. Uh, I'm very excited about the way what, what you're doing and how that might be able to proliferate as well. And, and I'm also interested in, you know, having a chat around technology because I think technology with, with 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 fitness is a, a fascinating area too because that is um you know uh, certainly uh, for me it is uh, making my own um, activity much more exciting but also the interconnectedness nature of you know how you can use uh, virtually systems to um to connect with others and do sport with others online etc so let's find out a little bit more about that and we we'll then we'll be back again therefore in just a couple of minutes To you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one to one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops, and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi this is chris cooper i'm with scott kane and we're talking about run friendly at the moment and scott could you just tell us sort of precisely where you know run friendly is in terms of its um it's sort of development and implementation at the moment. So, so you know, people who yeah, may be in certain areas could uh, see how they could engage with it. Yeah, so I suppose we're doing two things. We're, um, we're live um, in London. So if you live in London or you visit London, uh, you can avail yourself of the service. Um, and then uh, we've lined up our second UK city, which is Exeter, which has very high ambitions to be a, um, a sustainable uh, city and a city that... Um, people move by sustainable means. Um, and then we're uh, in uh, quite advanced conversations with, with a few other cities in the UK. It's also the case that we've had people subscribe um, and tell us that they would like it in you know, 20 other cities globally. And so we're, we're really interested in where do people feel that the service would be of value and wherever there's the greatest demand, I think we should prioritize um, taking the service to those cities internationally next. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's currently only available as a, as a service in London um, and soon to be Exeter. And, and how has it, how's it gone down in London? How, how, how used is it? Yeah, so it's a good question. So, um, so I uh, left the, the catapult last, um, I think it was last summer, and we developed a kind of minimum viable product. And then we've only actually been live as a service since January. And so we've... Uh, we've had really, really positive feedback from the people that have engaged with it. And what we've essentially tried to do is, um, there's a very famous accelerator in San Francisco called Y Combinator. Um, And what they say is they they build something that, even if it's a small number of people, that small number of people really love. And it really meets a very particular need that they have. And then what we've then tried to do is to um, engage with the venue, so the gyms and the hotels and the co-working spaces and so forth. And we've really tried to deeply understand what would be good for them 
And what they want is they want people to come in and they want people to spend money. They want people to take their services. They want to know um, that they can understand when people are coming and, and how they're going to be using relative to their other uh, their other users. And so we've been pretty managed in terms of how we've um, we've onboarded numbers of people. Um, we're now at the point I think where we've we've kind of tested um, and have sufficient data to understand um, the patterns that are emerging. And so we're now, you know, at the point where we're, you know, we're looking to turn on the tap a bit more. We're looking to have um, more people um, signing up and using it, not just across London, but also telling us where else in the rest of the world they would like it to be. Um, and it's a very simple app, um, uh, much like anything else you can get. And, and that's why we often, you know, we've been described as being like the Airbnb for showers for people who run and cycle a lot. And, um, you know, whilst it was said by someone else, yeah, it's probably stuck. So, uh yeah, so we, we've started there. Um, in terms of what we're looking at next, I guess we have ambitions to be um, the business that builds the decision tools for active mobility. So if you want to move from A to B actively, we'd like you to see Run Friendly as the, uh, as the way that you're best able to do that. And so we're looking at things like um, uh, yeah, a sort of run-friendly route finder. So how can you get from A to B, avoiding the areas of the worst air quality, avoiding um, the places where the pavements or sidewalks are most busy? Um, uh, how can you go where you're taking in the most green space? Um, uh, and Because that's for all of the qualities of it being calming and, 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 and you know, good for our mental well-being as well. And so we're looking at kind of a run-friendly route finder. So that's next in our kind of development path. And then people have always said that, that nudges matter to them. So, you know, our busy lives often get in the way. And so people have been saying, you know, could you have something which kind of reminds me the night before that it's going to be a nice day the next day? Uh, could you have something that kind of links to our calendars and says, actually, um, there's an opportunity for you to make an active journey at this point between these two meetings, or actually you could be you know, active at lunchtime. Um, but also, if, you're, if your week is looking so packed, it, it could also nudge and say, actually, is there any way you could, you, know, you could release some of that time in order to fit in being active? And so I guess that's the, the, our longer-term vision is to help more people um, make more active journeys and be more active more of the time. And we've started with this, you know, this showers on demand service um, because it's meeting this real human need. Excellent. That sounds re- really, really helpful app. And yes, if it reminds people, it's a nice, nice morning. Get your gear packed to, for tomorrow morning and uh, and get off. Could, it, could could there be a social aspect to this, do you think, where, you know, where there's maybe groups of people running in from, so you could run in a group of people into the city at a certain time? Could you see, could you see something like that happening? Yeah, so- yeah, so we've um, you know we've been discussing with um, people like Strava who have a very large number of um, users mm-hmm. already. Um, precisely that sort of thing. I mean, they 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 have, and you can see in Strava Labs um, where people make a similar route to you already. So those kinds of collaborations. Um, likewise, uh, there's some very there's there's some really good kind of uh, I guess apps that help you make non-active choices already. So things like City Mapper. Google Maps, um, uh, Move It. There's a bunch of them which are all really excellent in their own way, but they are largely optimized for public transport or for moving by car. Um, and what we want to do is compliment them thoughtfully about, well, actually, if, if your starting point is how can I make an active journey rather than how can I make a passive journey, then your requirements and your mindsets you know, are importantly different. So, for example... Um, I think I'm right in saying, and, and hopefully someone will correct me if I'm wrong, that, that you know, if you're using Google Maps, for example, it's, it's based on, first and foremost, roads. So not pavements or sidewalks, it's based on roads. And um, therefore, it is also, with that in mind, tailored towards those kind of passive journeys. So how could you move by car or by bus or so forth? And so we think we could... Um, we can nudge people in the right direction, the people with much bigger resources and much more um, uh, capabilities than us to say, well, actually, even if we just do it as a valiant first effort, we think it should be a right that somebody should be able to make an optimal active trip across a city and it not be um, essentially defaulting to always the busiest roads where the air quality is worse. And and so I think it, it's something that whether whether where the people who crack it or whether somebody else cracks it, I think it's it's a, you know it should be 
uh, it should be a right that you should be able to be able to do that um, within an urban context. Something like air quality, for example, is, is hypersensitive. So I've written about this in things like Men's Running and, and um, you know, The Guardian and so forth. Um, even within, it's highly localized. There's a whole bunch of things that affect air quality. But, you know, even from standing on one side of the sidewalk to the, um, which is furthest away from the traffic, it makes a material difference to the quality of the air um, than if you're, you know, you're, 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 you know, you're right by the traffic or, or right, right up close. So, you know, whether you're running, walking, you know, standing there with your children, you know, with your parents, whatever it might be, you know, it's important to bear these sorts of things in mind. And then also when you're making choices around a trip, um, bear in mind that in London, for example, and in Paris, for example, the air quality on the subway is 30 times worse than it is at street level. Uh-huh. 30 times worse. Gosh. I mean, it's a staggering number. Um, and if you, again, sticking with London, because it's the city that I know best, but this is the case in many other cities as well. Um, uh, on the day of the London Marathon last, last year, um, some people called Global Action Plan and Imperial College London did some research. And um, where, where, because the roads were closed because of the marathon, the air quality was 89% better. So the air pollution was 89% better in terms of, in particular, um, Knox, but you know other particulates as well, and that just shows the impact that cars and buses have in terms of air quality in our cities. And so, I think I think if you're thinking about what's another reason behind why mayors and city leaders are, are you know really embracing active travel, you know, walking, running, cycling, it's that they're they really they know they need to do something, you know something of the order of, you know, tens of thousands of people are dying in cities every year unnecessarily because of toxic air quality. And how we move is a massive contributing factor to that. Well, that's really important. You've got, really got me thinking, I try and try and when I can, rather than use the underground, walk to meetings uh, and sort of plan that. Sometimes I haven't got the time to do it, but you've certainly made me think whenever I can, <laughs> I'll avoid the subway and uh, get out and walk. And you're also going to be thinking, you know, when I took a few weeks ago, I took my children down down to London on the train for the day with my wife, and we were, you know, what what should we do? But if there was an app available where we could see, actually, you know, you can if you do this particular route, you can take in these sites, and uh, um, where air quality is good, it's the most attractive route, and it'll be eight miles of walking for you. Is that manageable with my kids? That you know, that would be very attractive to have an app that would take you around doing that sort of sort of thing. So I could see how this could, you know, really really take off into other fields as well, like tourism. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, also for your employee, if you're an employer, you know, you want your people to be, you know, to be as well as possible for, for the, you know, as a, as a good, good employer, but also for their productivity. And things like air quality is a big drag on people's productivity, on their, on their kind of well-being and their, you know, that's both outside and in public spaces and on the roads, but it's also within buildings. And these are all really important areas that I think, um, you know, increasingly innovators uh, will turn their attentions to because you know the, the downsides are well known and well understood we're almost out of time almost out of time we've only got sort of three minutes left before i need to wrap up but um what what can employers do to maybe you know inspire them employees to uh, maybe start to use run friendly for example get the employees moving I think employers um, are increasingly aware that being active leads to greater productivity and less sick days. Um, it's now a question of, I think, within the well-being benefits that companies have in mind for their staff, it's about thinking, well, could Run Friendly be alongside gym memberships? I mean, we know that gym memberships are um, slightly more commonplace or, or sort of subsidized gym memberships. But actually, you know, something of the order of 66% of people who have a gym membership, you know, they rarely go to the gym. Um, so it's this, that it's insufficient for the greater number of people. And so you know, helping people make a journey that they have to make every day, their commute, uh, as well as their other everyday journeys around cities, um, being able to do so more actively, more easily, we think is you know, a relatively low bar. So we would say, yeah, absolutely. Um, we'd, love to, we'd love to hear from those employees. We, we've, we've, uh, you know, we've got our first, uh, our first leading pioneering employers who are signing up for Run Friendly already. Um, and we'd encourage um, any other far-sighted employer that wants to kind of distinguish themselves from their peers to a, 
to sign up to Run Friendly and, um, and benefit their staff and help their staff live uh, a more active and healthy life. Excellent. So, so I'm just thinking now, you know, a lot of consultants and coaches and people uh, listen to this program if they're in central London. You know, I, I recommend I, I do a lot of work around engagement and building engaged workforces. That's my that's my real kind of passion. So, you know, if we, we could be referring and sharing Run Friendly with some of our clients and uh, recommending that as a, an engagement tool. Uh, run friendly is is one solution um so just like we've just got a minute now till, till we finish so do you have a final message you'd like to leave us with i, I think my, my final message would be um we're seeing a massive boom in people valuing experiences so be that you know participating in marathons half marathons cycling events and so forth you know there was 81 half marathons just in london alone in 2018 and i would say for the people that are doing that, also think about how you move for the rest of the time. And actually, don't be the person that kind of drives to the gym, has a workout, and then drives home again. Or don't be the person that drops their kids off in the car and then you know, adds to the pollution. It's about thinking about well-being and health through the day and how making that active first and last mile could be the thing that helps exercise become a more integral part of your life um, to help you live a longer and happier existence. That's a, that's a really good point to leave us with. Um, I've just started uh, running to the gym rather than taking my car and running back. Um, that's uh, I never like running on a running machine anyway, so I can uh, I can do that best and get it over with. Um, but it saves the car coming out and, and polluting. Uh, so I think it's a really, really good, really good thought to leave us with. Really enjoyed uh, the conversation today and finding out more about what you're doing and just trying to understand you know, the link between health and, and cities and and also with organisations and how they can maybe inspire their people and maybe think about changing the um, the dress code uh, so people can um, do more active things going to work and uh, and going back from work. So a lot to think about there. Been a great pleasure talking to you, Scott. Thank you very much indeed, Chris. It's been fantastic uh, to to spend time and hang out with you. You're very very welcome. Been brilliant. Um, so for more information, go to um www.runfriendly.com that's uh, runfriendly.com um, is that the right place Scott to send people excellent and um, on next week's show we have a former actor he's been in things like the fight club with Brad Pitt and Meatloaf um, he was also uh, in Buffy the Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, but he's an amazing storyteller and founder of roundtable companies which includes conscious capitalism press if you know the book conscious capitalism his name is Corey Blake he's an amazing man he's, he's um, absolutely fascinating and one of the key things that he's really interested in and and talks about and educates on is vulnerability so we're going to talk to Corey Blake about vulnerability next week so do uh, do sign in any questions or comments love to hear them chris at chriscooper.co.uk and once again a huge thank you and the very best of luck to uh, Scott Kane with an amazing initiative there in runfriendly.com We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.